All right, welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Josh Goldberg here for another week, and uh, always a pleasure to uh, have Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic uh, join us. And, um, you know, uh, it's like every week in Blue Jays land is, uh, you know, there's like a lot going on. They play these really tight ball games, you know, like a lot of pressure pack games. Like there just hasn't been a stress-free stretch uh, seemingly around this team all season. Like they are in a playoff spot. Like they occupy sole possession of a playoff spot. So it's hard to say it's been like a complete disaster, but it just feels like it's been even more so than last year, years past really just high stress, high intensity games, you know, seemingly every day. Yeah. And like this week in Blue Jays baseball, relatively speaking, was actually pretty good they took two of three games against a very hot miami marlins team um two like kind of gutsy sort of wins and then you take two of three against the a's who are not good at all um and so that's two series wins in a row after a couple a few series losses um in a row and that's kind of been like the story of the blue jays season where it's like uh you know they the win two three four series in a row and then they might drop one or get swept here or just like, you know, play a few ugly games. And then they kind of um, just don't look like uh, as competitive as they can be. And then they'll sort of snap back into it and win a few close games, get a great pitching performance from somebody, um, get a key hit here or there, just enough. The bullpen comes through. And so it's kind of been like that um, for a long time. Uh, I guess for the whole season, um, April was pretty good. And then sort of May and June have been kind of basically like the same game being played over and over and over again. I know you've tweeted that a lot um, and it feels that way. Yeah, it does. Uh, today, uh, Sunday was the first time in a while um, where the Blue Jays, you know, had a huge cushion. And even then it was like really only padding on right at the end. I mean, they did a good job to sort of add on additional runs um, throughout the game, uh, but it was really not until the eighth inning where they just really pulled ahead, um, you know, 12-1 against the A's, which is like a score you should really be beating the A's by. Yeah. Well, like, I guess people ask me like, oh, is it like, is it not a success that they only took two out of three against the A's? And like, I can't, I can never, I've always said like, if you win series more often than you lose series or you win a lot of series, you're going to be a good team. But the A's are so fucking bad that, like, it's just – it's hard to justify losing a baseball game to them. They are as bad of a team as I, you know, maybe can ever recall seeing. And it's more so – it's just, like, the way that they lost on Friday. It was such a winnable game. Like, they Mm -hmm. mustered two hits in the last six innings. Like, so it's not – I'm not sitting here and saying it's like a disaster or anything that they didn't sweep. But it's hard not to at least feel a little bit disappointed by the fact, you know. it's Again, it's hard. They've beaten the Braves. Like they – uh, they did they sweep the Rays? They they did a good job against the Rays as well. Like they've they've had some success. I think they beat the Brewers in Milwaukee in a series. But like, you know, just considering the way that game went on Friday – it's hard not to at least feel a little bit let down, you know, that they let one slip away against such a bad team. Yeah. But there's probably like, you could probably go back to that, like Miami game where they won. They were like winning like one, nothing. And then they win. I guess the final score was like two, nothing. And it was like really like 
toss up to sort of game. Um, so you kind of look at that and it's like, man, maybe they didn't totally deserve to win that one. Um, and then, you know, they drop one to the A's where they definitely should have won that one. And you just throw it away. Jordan Romano has been as you know good as any starter in the majors and he gives up a, you know, a ninth inning home run. It's a non-save situation. I know that some people sort of look at that with him and it's like, he's not, not as sharp. There's maybe something about coming in with a save, um, you know, win on the line, but I I don't know how much I buy into that, but um, the facts are like, yeah, the stats aren't as good, but also like the sample size is way smaller because he's usually pitching in save situations and not non-save situations. So um, yeah, I, I understand like, not sweeping the A's feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, but yeah, they have another series against the A's, I guess, later in the year. Um, you know, they could still finish the year with five of six wins against them if they go to Oakland and, and play well there. And I think with this, you know, Blue Jays team, I think the, the sort of positive you take away is that the offense was coming around a little bit, um, not even with their like A lineup, so to speak, on Sunday as well. Um you know, you also like to see Vladdy getting those home runs at home. Finally, if this, if there was any series where he was going to break out at home, it was this one <laughs> facing, you know, the worst pitching staff in baseball. So luckily it happened. Um, he, he didn't sound like he was that, it, like it was weighing on him that much, but I think it probably was a little bit more than he's letting on. I mean, he's a, he's a real competitive guy and he wants to do well and he wants to do well at home, especially in front of the fans. So I think it was a bit of a weight off his, uh, shoulders and then I think it's no coincidence that like the next day it happened again um so I think you take some positives from that uh there's a few other things um you know I guess we'll get into it but like the Kikuchi starts great Brios looks really good so you're liking what you're seeing from those guys um Bassett not so much but yeah you hope that a guy with his sort of track record just can sort of move on from these couple of rough starts um and yeah, like there's, so there's there's a lot of positives, a few negatives from the weekend, but I think they sort of roll into this long homestand or the continued long homestand with some positive momentum. Yeah, I would say so. Like, it's really hard to look at, you know, a team like Oakland and, and performance against a team like Oakland and think, well, how much can I like extrapolate from that moving forward? But it's hard not to at least be encouraged because Vladdy had a bunch of good at bats against the A's. Say what you want about the caliber of pitcher um, that was throwing to him, but you know there weren't as many bad swing decisions um, as there have been of late. Like a lot of times while he's been struggling, it's almost like he's getting himself out as mm-hmm. much as a pitcher is doing a good job. Like he's expanding the zone and you know, getting himself behind in the count. And then, you know, when you're behind 0-2-1-2, you know, your swing decisions probably aren't going to be as good as if you're up, you know, one o two o two one three one that sort of thing. And, you know, he was doing a much better job. And it, I'm cautiously optimistic, like you, you sort of have to be, because, like, you know, the Blue Jays just aren't going to get to anywhere near they want to go, like the level they want to be as a team. If he's not, you know, they're if not their best hitter with Bo Bichette, like right there. And he just hasn't been um, the last basically close to two months. 
And, you know, it's positive to see some signs that maybe he's finding, you know, that form that we saw in April where he basically never had a bad at bat. That's why Mm -hmm. it was so puzzling because it just like out of nowhere, he went from consistently having a good at bat and not making a poor decision to like it flipped on its head and that's all he was doing. So, you know, hopefully it's a long season, you know, there ebbs and flows. Like maybe it's just one of those things where he was in a pretty noticeable valley and now he's going to get back into a you know more of a peak and can go on you know a four or six week run where he's putting up you know the numbers that I think a lot of people are accustomed to and expect from him yeah I think that's kind of how the team feels like they've kind of been saying for a while he's been saying for a while that's like feel like I'm getting close feel like I'm right there just have to sort of feel comfortable and it'll just start coming and yeah, you look at his at-bats against the A's, they were really good. I think John Schneider said to him after the Friday game, like, something like, don't budge, like, just do what you're doing. So he's getting a lot of that, like, positive reinforcement from the team. I think he's starting to feel better. Um, And, you know, like, yeah, like you said, say what you will about the quality of pitchers that he was facing. But, like, sometimes a guy just needs a few good bounces and a few good swings, and then it just starts rolling. And I mean – Vladdy's a, you know, one of the most talented best hitters in the majors. Like he can hit really good pitching. He can hit bad pitching. Like it doesn't really matter. It's almost more so about him than it is the pitcher he's facing. Like, yeah, obviously pitchers are going to get him out and there's a lot of good pitching in this league and then that whole thing. But I think a lot of the times with him, it really just comes down to like him. Cause I think when it's, he's at his best, he can kind of, uh, he can hit anybody really. Okay, so uh, before we get to Kikuchi, I-, I wanted to talk about Matt Chapman, who um, had a good week, I would say, was was very solid against the Marlins, um, especially. Um, had a few moments, you know, had a, a, an RBI yesterday um, a- against the A's um, and had some more decent at-bats, uh, you know, walked a couple of times on Sunday, scored a couple of runs. It, it was really tough. He, like, he was in quite a trough. Um for a while after again being so good and like you know he was bound to regress he wasn't gonna hit 480 all season (laughs) long he's a 245 or so career hitter he strikes out um a fair bit that's just always the way that it's been with him but like the regression was extreme Mm -hmm. but you know like he bounced back i know you um released a really good uh article kind of deep dive about you know what makes him tick as a ball player and as a person and what goes into him the type of leader that he is And I guess, like, I wonder how much it weighed on him um, as, like, somebody that is pretty important in that clubhouse to not be, you know, pulling his weight from a performance perspective for a pretty sustained period of time. I think what probably weighed on him more during the month of May, especially when he really took a dive in terms of his performance, was the fact that the team wasn't playing well at the same time. Like, he is a very team-oriented person he always has been um he's just all about winning like growing up what I learned about him you know from talking to his dad and some coaches um that's known him his whole life was that like you know winning has always been what he wants to do you know even if he's just playing for fun in his front yard he wanted to win and so I think more so than just a dip in his own performance. It was that it was also sort of coinciding with the team not playing well. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be what would be weighing on him more. The thing with, you know, Chapman is that he's always had this kind of um, approach and it comes from a little bit like growing up, 
he was not necessarily this huge home run hitter. You know, he was a good baseball player. He could get on base. He could hit a little. Um, but defense was always his thing. It Even as a young kid, it was like pretty apparent that he was going to be a great defender. And that's always been something that he's kind of relied on. Like if I go 0 for 4, but I make a few great plays, um, then I've helped the team win and I've done my job. And he, I've noticed actually against the A's, he looked really good defensively. I mean, for the most part, he's always great um, defensively. I think he makes the easy plays, um, you know, look obviously very routine, but he also makes like very challenging plays look routine. And then sometimes when he messes up, you're like, whoa, like what happened there? And like, sometimes those plays are hard to make. (laughs) I think he just makes it look so easy so much of the time. Um, But yeah, I think that the thing with him is that he's really good about um, resetting each day. And I think he does really take his responsibility, I guess, as being kind of um, a guy that can cheer other guys up like um, pretty seriously. And so I think that, you know, there was not really a noticeable difference in his demeanor whatsoever, even as he was like slumping. And um, he was still the same guy every day coming to the ballpark making his teammates laugh, like um, playing cards with them in the clubhouse or like whatever it may be like. And so that never really changed. And you're kind of seeing him look a little bit more like himself at the plate. Now, I think you're, you almost see it more, not so much on the swings, but like the walks, like once he starts taking the walks again, you're like, okay, he's like kind of seeing what he wants at the plate. He's like knowing what pitches he should go after. He's not, um, you know, getting fooled. And I think, the last few games have been encouraging for the fact that you saw some power come back in Miami and then against the A's, you know, making some great defensive plays, but also like taking those walks and like putting up pretty good at bats. And I think like it's all kind of coming together. And I think we're going to probably see probably another hot run for Chapman. I mean, summer's coming up. I think last year around this time he got really hot too. Yeah. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of see like a similar kind of another hot streak from him coming up. So I guess like having the conversations that you had with him and, you know, people close to him, like, I guess like, I'm really curious what his future is, like how much it really has seemed like he is a big fan of being in Toronto and has taken uh, really nicely to not just the franchise, but the city. And like, I think in a perfect world, he'd probably want to stay. I, I, I still think I see it as probably unlikely but like Mm -hmm. do you think his number one choice would be to remain a member of the of the blue jays if all things you know were equal like if he could just you know make make it happen like would that you think be his preference well i mean i it's hard to say if it would be number one choice or not i guess i could say that i think he really enjoys being on the blue jays i think he's really um especially this year come into his own as as somewhat of a a leader on the team and just feels like very connected with his teammates. Like they're having a good time. Um, And then, you know, the blue Jays are a pretty like even keeled bunch. I mean, it's sometimes funny. Like you see the sort of reaction on Twitter and with the fan base. And there's like all these people freaking out um, about where the blue Jays are at. And then you like go into the clubhouse and it's just like an ordinary day. Like, (laughs) so the blue Jays are actually like, they've got a lot of guys on the team Matt Chapman included that are pretty good at just like not letting things like spiral, understanding the baseball season is long, um, really resetting each and every day. And so I think that he probably really likes the Blue Jays. He likes where they're at. He likes his teammates. You know, he's very close with everybody. Um, I think that 
he's also, um, you know, has the best agent out there in Scott Boris and um, he knows what he's doing in that regard too. And uh, he's going to be the best free agent third baseman on the market. One of the best free agents position players on the market. Um, there's probably a lot of teams that could really use a third baseman. Um, a few teams, at least one team I can think of in the American league East um, that could use um, one, like the, you know, the Yankees is who I'm referring to, yeah. but also there's some pretty like big teams that could lure him i think like the phillies are another interesting team maybe the cubs um someone was mentioning the tigers to me uh, i don't know about that but like there's gonna be a lot of teams that would love to have match happen and the thing with the blue jays is that they're a pretty like pragmatic bunch um, they don't usually just kind of throw money at a player just to keep them. Yeah. Um, you know, like you look at Marcus Simeon a few years ago, like best season as a second baseman. And, you know, the Blue Jays weren't going to get uh, you know, crazy with what they were going to offer him, even though they liked him. And obviously Texas paid a lot more money and he's been, you know, last year was a little bit of a adjustment year for him, but he's been great this year. Um, but, you know, the Blue Jays, I think that, they're, they've never been a team that just sort of like throws money at a guy um, just to keep him. They are very sort of like analytical in their approach to what they're willing to pay guys. They also are at a weird kind of not, I hesitate to say like crossroads, but they're at a weird kind of um, juncture with the team right now where it's, they're really not like a young cheap team anymore. Like they're no. actually getting, they're one of the most expensive teams. Um, their roster is getting, not old but older they really don't have that many guys on like the entry-level deals the way that they used to um so you can't like bank on that many sort of the quote-unquote cheaper salaries uh you know you have Bo locked up so you kind of know what you're paying him Vlad you don't know there's a lot of guys that are gonna keep getting more money in their RB years Jansen Romano a bunch of relievers um and you also have quite a few guys like walking this year i mean wit merrifield has an option i doubt it will be picked up you know, chapman as well so there's kind of some significant uh i guess kiermeyer is just on the one-year deal so there's gonna be like a lot of um spots on the roster significant spots on the roster to fill too and yeah. then you've also got to think about long term what are you gonna do with vladdy long term what are you gonna do with Bo long term what are you gonna do with other guys Man- well manoa the conversation is a little different now yeah um but but even jansen like jansen's not gonna be a monster deal but you might have to sort of figure that out and so then the blue jays always talk about like wanting to kind of be balanced in the sense of you have a certain amount of your team that is like these high priced free agent deals you have a certain amount of your team that are sort of these middle ARB deals. And then you have a certain amount of your team that are like these young um, guys that are on entry level deals and cheaper, um, cheaper contracts. And they are now kind of skewing more to expensive free agents. And I, and I don't know how many more they're going to sign. Um, You know, I think that it's really going to depend on like what the market, I guess, wants for Chapman. It probably will depend on where Chapman really wants to be. But that's kind of stuff like the location and that kind of stuff. It's it's a factor, but it's never the, the number one factor. It's always money. And yeah. especially when your agent is Scott Boris, it's always going to be money, which is like totally fine. Totally <laughs> fine. Totally fine. Like I just can't envision any scenario where the Blue Jays are like signing him to a six-year contract for nine figures. Like it just – it just, I, I maybe I'll be wrong. To me, that's like a zero point one percent chance. Like it just, 
and honestly, they wouldn't be wrong to like, you know, I don't, I don't look at Matt Chapman as like a, an ascending talent anymore. You know, like he's on the wrong side um, of 30 we're going to be um, he had a serious hip injury that required surgery he's still a really good defensive player he's not no longer like the preeminent or co-preeminent defensive third baseman with uh, Nolan Arenado mm-hmm. like you know offensively he's inconsistent like there's a lot of risk associated with paying Matt Chapman I don't know like 18 somewhere between like 18 and 23 million dollars a season let's say on a 6 or 7 year deal like I just don't that's the kind of contract that really can end up screwing you from a flexibility standpoint and like sooner or later like the Blue Jays have to figure out a way like their entire rotation basically right now their entire rotation is not not internal Right, like it's all trade or free uh, agents. Yeah, I mean, at this very moment, we're not at including Manoa. Moment. Yeah, yeah. So even but even going into the season, we're talking about you know twenty percent, and mm-hmm. uh, the fact that they had no one, like, and it's an issue. Like, they need to figure out the fifth starter spot. Like, they couldn't buy Chris Bassett an extra day of rest when they had the day off because, mm-hmm. well, it's just like we got we can't. Like, we just don't want to go to a bullpen day. And then you know you have the domino effect with Trevor Richards who is a good reliever. Like I don't want to waste Trevor Richards starting a game for two or three innings and then being out of commission for a couple of days. Like he's too important, honestly, I think with that ability to miss bats. Like, so they have to do a, just a better job at just like having more internal candidates to fill holes on the mm-hmm. roster where, you know, it's not like, Oh, well, we're just punting on the rotation spot because we literally don't have anyone that we trust. Uh, more than Trevor Richards and like, I guess, Bowden Francis. And that's not a winning recipe, I would say, for any sustained stretch in the American League and especially in the American League East. Yeah. I mean, I said this a, a little while ago, maybe on the radio at some point, but, you know, I, I wonder about like the benefit benefit versus cost of this four-man rotation and this kind of bullpen day every fifth day when when you need it I guess um you know at this point it's like you they haven't won I think they've had two of those bullpen games they haven't won either of them I don't think um the first one they did well and then it kind of blew up on them but yeah fact is they haven't won either of them and I wonder like are you just getting too cute at this point like why not just give Bowden France just he's this fifth starter and you know he's not going to give you seven innings but you know let him throw 75 pitches and then it's like, see, see if it's fine. And then like, you're not handcuffing your bullpen as much and yeah. you just, you have the fifth starter and then you're, you're not putting your own rotation in as much of a, a you know, tricky situation either. You're giving them the days. Like, I mean, I, I hesitate to say like throw Mitch White in there because that is, he's not been good. And so then Ooh, you're, you're yeah, really just yeah. like, not, you might not be competitive in those yeah. things, but Bowden Francis has shown a little, um, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to save the season or like he's the next Manoa. Uh, well, you know, before everything happened this year. Um, but like, I don't know. I just, I kind of wonder like, what's real, what's like the upside now of doing this? Because I think we're starting to see some diminishing returns with the rotation. I think some of those guys like, you know, Brios and Kikuchi seem to be okay. Um, but uh, you know, a somewhat older pitcher like Bassett and even Gosman, I guess we'll see how he pitches on, um, Tuesday, but like, you know, they probably could use the the rest days a little bit. And I just wonder like, and then to your point about like 
Trevor Richards is like one of their best strikeout relievers. He's uh, a great guy to use in, you know, a sixth, seventh inning situation, um, you know, kind of to set up the Swanson and Romano, um, you know, end of game uh, scenario. So I think that I wonder, you know, sometimes with the Blue Jays, they sort of just like get a little bit too cute with things and like like almost overcomplicate stuff sometimes. And I just wonder like at this point, like, What's the harm? What is the real, like, what's the harm in just putting Bowden Francis in that fifth spot? Yeah, not gonna, you're not gonna be getting complete games from him, but it just gives a little bit of order back to the rotation. It gives a little bit of order back to the bullpen. You don't ask so much from Trevor Richards. Like, you know, I just, I'm kind of leaning that way. Um, I'm not, I don't think the Blue Jays are going that way, but I kind of wonder, like, at this point, why not? Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I just don't think you'll be that much worse off. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to be a little bit um, more flexible with your bullpen and have Richards available. Like, the bullpen's been taxed. Mm-hmm. Like, Romano and Swanson have been pitching a ton. Um, like, Nate Pearson, you know, is a one. But, like, you, depending on the situation, you like having him for a second inning. And then it's like, do you pitch him back-to-back days if the scenario calls for it? His stats on back-to-back days haven't been great. And, like, you're reaching a point where, like, he hasn't thrown many innings in his career. Like, do you really want to max out a guy who has been as injury-prone as he is? Like, you are going to need him, mm-hmm. ideally, all season long. And, like, you know, having him pitch multiple times a week, you know, getting, uh, you know, three to six outs, you know, a couple of times a week. Like, that's a lot on a guy's plate. And that's why um, I, I think Richard's... Uh, is so valuable in the bullpen. So I, I do agree. Like, I, I think that they should be a little bit more willing to, um, you know, have somebody like Francis uh, see what, you know, he might be able to do. Because, like, I think, like, there's been this talk, we can talk about Manoa here for a sec before we get to Kikuchi, like that, you know, he's signs of progress and, like, he threw 75 pitches at the, in a simulated game. And I don't know. I, I am taking it all with a real grain of salt. Uh, I think there needs to be tangible evidence of improvement and growth and development and progress, all that stuff. Um, you know, like there's some thought maybe he'd be the guy to take the fifth rotation spot uh, in the series against the Red Sox. I think that would be malpractice personally. <laughs> like I think that would be insane because um, he hasn't even pitched uh, a game yet. You know, like they're talking Schneider basically dumped cold water on that yeah. uh, every couple of days ago. He said right now that doesn't, you know, like that's not in the thought process. Just like I, I have said this, I'm probably going to be wrong, but like, I don't think it would be stunning if he didn't hit. I, it probably like it would be stunning to most people to me. Like, I just think he was so far away from being good. And you don't want him to come back as like, a, you know, you're just hoping and praying. You want to get him back as much as you possibly can to his best form. And like, you need to really put in the work to ensure that that happens. Mm-hmm. And like, it wouldn't stun me if he didn't pitch again, you know, this season, or if he didn't pitch again until like late August, September. Like, I just don't think he's close, like at all. I mean, there's there's a scenario where we see Hunjin Ryu pitch again before Manoa. Yeah. And I think where I'm at with it is I think, like, right from the very beginning when the Blue Jays made this move to send Manoa to not just the minors, but the Florida Complex League, where he's really not even 
at the Florida complex. Like at this point, he's just working out at the complex. Um, but the necessary roster move is to send him to the complex league. But I think with that, the Blue Jays basically signaled, this is not even a sort of team decision at this point. This is an Alec Manoa decision. Like this is to get him right. And it doesn't, where what the team's needs are, are not even going to come into play with this scenario. It's all about Manoa and it's all about getting him right because sure, when teams are thinking about different scenarios, they're thinking about like short-term team, um, you know, long-term team. But this decision was almost exclusively like short-term and long-term Manoa, more so long-term, I think, Um, in the sense that would the Blue Jays be disappointed if Manoa didn't pitch again this year? Of course. It would be unexpected, of course. but. I don't think they would rule it out if it meant just getting him right for years to come. Like yep. if he's just not ready, if he just needs more time, if he's not getting the results, if the delivery isn't there, whatever, everything that he's working on down there just needs more time, then they're going to give him that time. I don't think there's going to be any sort of pressure to get him back. I mean, the only pressure would be probably knowing Manoa, he's probably putting it on himself because he wants to compete he wants to be with his team it's gotta be tough like this is a guy that spent the last two years of his life in the majors and that's a great life right like that's a you know uh you're getting to visit different cities take charter planes eat at cool restaurant it's a great life right and he's not living that right now so that's gotta suck like that's gotta suck a lot and not only is he not living that life right now but he mean he was the guy in toronto he was like their rotation ace um you know kind of co-ace probably with Kevin Gosman, but he was their guy. And so he's not getting that. And that's tough too, because that's kind of like your identity for the last two years. And he's not able to be that guy right now. And so I'm sure that he really wants to be back. And I think that the Blue Jays are going to reward him if he's showing um, positive progress down there. If he makes the adjustments he needs to make and he's looking good in the games that he goes in. And and by the way, I'm not sure that he'll play uh, necessarily pitch like in the Florida complex league. That's just like rookie level league. They might pitch him at the Florida state league, which is still low a, but a little bit better. Um, they're both in Dunedin. So it kind of would probably depend on the schedule and where the teams are at and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, there's a scenario where he sort of slowly makes his way back up probably. But yeah, I think with, to your point about, you know, would we see him before the end of the year? I mean, at this point, I'm just like, I have no idea. I literally have no idea. I can't predict anything with this Manoa scenario. It's kind of been sort of stunning from the very start um, and how it's transpired and where we got to. And so I hesitate to even make any sort of prediction. The only thing that I would predict is that, you know, I know I don't think at any point like a, a need for a starter is going to be why Manoa comes back up. It's not going to be that because they don't they don't have a starter. They sent him down knowing they didn't have a starter and they're still they still sent him down. Yeah, I think they need to operate like with the and maybe it's not the most important thing that they need to address at the deadline, but like they could really use another starting pitcher. I just don't think you can trust. Ryu coming back from Tommy John surgery. Like mm-hmm. maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but throwing him into the rotation and expecting good results as you're trying to chase down a playoff spot, that's a that's a big hill to climb. I just think they need more. Like I'm not saying you need to acquire an ace or something, but you need somebody like a reliable 
like maybe not just in somebody who can eat some innings, but like can eat innings and give you some quality and give you a chance to win. Cause like we're circling back, like they just don't have that right now. And you're just the trickle down effect. You're putting more pressure on the rest of your rotation, which at times has shown cracks um, of late. The offense hasn't consistently been good enough mm-hmm. um, to bail out the pitching on days. Like, you know, like when Bassett struggled uh, in Texas, you know, like the offense, got off to a hot start and then cooled off and they lost that game because, you know, they couldn't sustain um, that, that lead that they had, you know, like it's all just sort of, you know, works in tandem. They just haven't really quite clicked yet. Like we're still waiting for that stretch where it just feels like, you know, every element of the team is just feeding off of one another and, you know, they're winning games, you know, with some conviction, we're still waiting for that. Like it could very well happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say that it won't, but it really hasn't uh, outside of a few fleeting moments um, here or there. Okay, let's talk about Kikuchi because um, he just had a really good month of June. Uh, ERA of like two and a quarter. Strikeout to walk rate was really good. Um, you know, like he's much more efficient. Uh, mm-hmm. Like early, like May, he had a few bumps in the road. He was giving up too many home runs. He wasn't pitching deep into ball games. Like a couple of starts this month were five and dive types, but his last two, he went six and then he went seven. And the thing that's really interested me is he threw a lot of curveballs against the A's. Like, I think he threw his curveball more than a third of the time. Like, he threw his curveball more than his slider. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because, like, he needs a third pitch, like, every starting pitcher, unless you're like Spencer Strider, who's just so overwhelmingly dominant with two pitches. Or Kevin like, Gosman. Yeah, or Kevin Gosman. Same thing. Like, you just don't have the margin for error um, when you're throwing two pitches. And, like, he kind of junked that split change like he's kind of he's gotten rid of the cutter and you know he, he's gone back to the curveball which i'm really surprised by because like i thought that the change up would be the third pitch like what do you think has led to the increased usage of the curveball and is it like something that can really represent you know a real game changer for what he might be able to do if that's like a legitimate third pitch to go with his fastball and a slider yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, the Blue Jays like like all the different speeds. I think I think like it's one of these things where it's like we forget how hard Kikuchi throws. Um, like, I mean, I guess we see the readings, we see the radar gun, and all that, but it's like you don't think of him as like an overpowering guy. I mean, he's he's not huge on the mound, and I think you know he has to be pretty precise with his command. He doesn't really blow past many guys, although he sometimes can. Um, but yeah, he throws like 96, 97. He can get up there with the fastball, um, but he's got to locate it well and he's got to locate his other pitches. And I think they really like the sort of varied speeds that he gets with the slider. And that's sort of been a work in progress pitch for him too, where it's like in April, it was really good. And it was like kind of around like 87 to 88 ish. And that's kind of like the sweet spot for him. And then in uh, May, he was throwing it harder, which is actually not good um for him because then it kind of resembles more of like the cutter and then it's sort of you don't get that separation with the fastball and guys really attack that slider so it's really a fine line for him but I think when you have the sort of three obvious speeds with like the fastball and then you've got um the slider sitting like 88 ish I guess and then you've got like the curveball sitting like you want it like 83 84 maybe um and i think that's where he was kind of at today and i think that having those three speeds um 
and possessing like a fastball that, you know, can hit like the high nineties. I think the Blue Jays really like that with him. And I think they feel like that's key to his success. But yeah, he talked today about using the curveball a lot more. It's almost like he didn't maybe realize it was as good as a pitch or how well it could work. The changeup is still something that he can use. He can throw in there, which is useful. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see him going to the curveball, you know, a lot more. Um, and, and maybe it was a bit of a scouting report thing too with the A's. Um, you know, whether they just, you know, don't hit curveballs really well. I, I didn't look into that, but, um, I think that it's been a really good, it's actually like he's had a quietly good month. I didn't, I, the last two starts were noticeably really good. Yeah. Um, with in Miami, shut out six innings, I think. And then today, just the one run over seven, his deepest start as a Blue Jay as well. And I think the deepest he's gone since he was with the Mariners in, I guess, yeah. 2021. Um, so, that's really encouraging. Uh, you mentioned like the efficiency, like that's the real big thing with Kikuchi. And for the most part, he's been, you know, a lot better th- than he had been last year, obviously. And the walks still are really, you, you like where they're at. Um, the strikeouts are a lot. They're up again this month. So that's been really good too. Um, and yeah, I think like with the way that things have gone with Manoa, it's actually been so, you know, clutch that Kikuchi has been as good as he has. Um, because I and and Brios too, but I think that Kikuchi giving them more or less consistently quality starts or like close to quality starts from the fifth spot, you know, that's the Blue Jays will take that any day, and they'll take that especially um, with Manoa gone. I mean, it's it's kind of wild, like where we're at. Like we're, I don't think we thought we'd be here at the midway mark. We're talking about like you know Manoa's not even with the team, and Kikuchi's like you know on a looking like a number three at this point or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's been invaluable. It's uh, And, like, he's giving them a chance to win more often than mm-hmm. not, which is surprising, honestly, uh, considering, you know, what the expectations were and, and how bad um, he was last year. And he just seems to have more confidence, mm-hmm. more swagger. Like, last year you could see uh, a lot. Like, there was just – it was tough. Like, if he got behind the eight ball, he was toast. Like, there was just no rally whatsoever. Like, I, I just think – I got the impression his confidence was just completely shot. Um, and this year, it just like, it seems like it, he always, on starts, he's, uh, games he's not starting, you see him in the dugout, like l- yucking it up, like smiling, mm-hmm. laughing. Like he seems like a very, we saw it last year, you know, every time he struggled or the odd time he did have a good stretch, his teammates were there to really pump his tires. Like it's clear that he's popular um, within that club and within that clubhouse. Um, but this year, like, it just seems like he's more of a presence just, you know, on, off the field. Like, it, it has to, like, and I'm sure the pitch clock has helped him as well. Like, it just yeah. seems like everything is in sync for him this year. Like, his mechanics, I feel like, are much more repeatable and consistent and smooth. Um, just everything just feels a lot better, more in sync. And, like, maybe it's just a case of he needed a year in a new situation with a new pitching coach to to really get a sense of what they wanted to do with him and the adjustments he needed to make. You know, like, he really experimented with a lot of different things, obviously, last year, some that worked, some that more than some that didn't work. And it seems like this year, um, like, he's got a, a much firmer base underneath him where the odd time, you know, he does have a rough outing. It's not the type where it can just like derail him for a prolonged stretch. Like he does a pretty decent job of being resilient and bouncing back and, you know, putting it behind him and, and having a sustained stretch uh, like we're seeing right now. 
Yeah. And I think like that's a key thing is like the innings haven't spiraled the way they did last year. A lot of that is due to the fact that it's like he doesn't walk three guys. He doesn't walk two guys and then allow a home run. I mean, a lot of he's allowed a lot of home runs this year. That's still something that you're sort of monitoring with him. But a lot of those home runs have been solo home runs um, because no one's on base. So the Blue Jays are kind of like going to be fine with that. I mean, if you, it's like the whole Robbie Ray thing. It's like if you um, if you were going to not walk guys, it's okay if you give up a solo home run here and there. That's just, you know, they'll live with that as long as they're getting the other kind of results they want to see. And I think, yeah, with Kikuchi, it you know, he is a lot more comfortable. It did take time to um, – you know, get comfortable in a new city, new team, new teammates. Obviously there's a language barrier of him, although his English is actually really good. Um, but he just looks a lot more like, I don't know, just happy <laughs> this year, I guess. And it, uh, of course that is due to the results. He's getting a lot better results this year. And, and yeah, I'm sure there's like an adjustment period and just like, you have to trust, like, you know, he, you have to learn to trust Pete Walker too and the pitching coach and the the systems that the Blue Jays have. I mean, it's a lot for him. And remember last year it was like the the lockout and it was a shortened spring and it was like yep. throwing him into the situation, asking him to do a lot of adjustments. And so, you know, I think the off season was really big for him to like key in on those adjustments that he needed to make and come into this season, really feeling confident with the Blue Jays plan, knowing that like they've mapped out, you know, a scenario for him where he's going to be at his best. And the more you see those results, the more you're going to like buy into it. Um, it's the same thing with happened with like Robbie Ray too. I mean, different pitchers, but I remember with Robbie Ray, it was like, they just told him like, your stuff's good enough. Throw it, throw it in the zone. You'll be fine. And then as he kept doing that, he's like, Oh yeah, I am fine. I'm going to win a Cy Young. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's, it, you know, like it, it may seem just like weird to say it, but like, like if you have good enough stuff, like I think you know, some pitchers, it's just like, well, I don't want to throw it too much in the zone because like, I'm going to get hit. And like you live with it. Like the same way, it's similar to Robbie Ray, like he gave, gives up home runs. Like, you know, your stuff is good enough that you can live with the odd home run. It's just like, you know, when you're nibbling around the zone and then you're it's leading to walks and then those home runs turn into three run homers. Like when mm-hmm. Robbie Ray won the Cy Young, yeah, he still gave up a whack of home runs. But they were a lot of solos yeah. as opposed to, you know, like the back-breaking three-run homer after a couple of walks. Yeah, Kikuchi's given up a bunch of home runs this year, but there haven't been as many where it's just like, oh, man, like the whole game is flipped on its yeah. head because, like, you know, he labored and then, you know, like he flipped the slider in there and it got crushed and it was a three-run homer and that's basically the end of the game. And, like, he is in the zone more. And, like, especially against right-handers, if you throw 95 or 96, like, up and in, it's hard to hit. Like, James Paxton, sort of the same way, has really good numbers against righties because he's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to throw my fastball and I'm going to see if these guys can do anything with it. And for the most part, like they can't because it's a really good pitch and Kikuchi fastball is really good. That's why everyone was so, you know, like up in arms last year and just couldn't understand why he didn't throw it more. It was like, Mm -hmm. there were outings where it's just like, he was slider, slider, slider. (laughs) Where is your fastball? Like you have a good fastball. Why aren't you throwing it? And he's throwing it more this year. Like he's not throwing it like Bryce Miller in Seattle throws his fastball like 70% of the time. Like, I, I don't know if I want to see that, but like, it's a good base. Like, you know, you throw it about half the time, you mix in your other two off-speed offerings, 
you know, 25% of the time, 20, 25% of the time, you're harder to, to square up, you know, you keep hitters guessing, and he's doing a better job of that. So like, really kudos to him, because like, he deserves it. He seems like somebody who, you know, works hard, um, is gets down on himself. And it's nice to see him uh, be rewarded here with like a, a real stretch. And like, I'm inclined to, to buy it. Like I've been saying this for most of the year, like I wasn't abandoning ship like I, there's enough here um that it doesn't feel fleeting like it, it feels like there's something at least worth you know paying attention to that is stable and that you, more often than not you can rely on and it's something that you can bank on team kikuchi yeah we're all we're we're definitely <laughs> we're all in on team all, kikuchi <laughs> yeah um okay so uh one more thing before we like kind of get into like a mid-season just assessment uh brandon belts back and mm-hmm. like he didn't play sunday but i don't think it's a coincidence that they have racked off a, a decent record um with him back and struggled without him i he's an important piece of the lineup uh, with the way he's been producing like since the start of may his on base percentage is like well over 400 like maybe even over 450 like he's having a lot of good at bats yeah he's gonna strike out it is what it is but like He's good. I, I you know, uh, if it were up to a, a bunch of Blue Jays fans, he would have been cut on like April 15th. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's why you give a guy like that, you know, at least two months before you're making any big declarations. And you, after one month, he figured it out. Mm-hmm. Like, am I wrong in saying that he is sneakily one of the most important players in like hitters in the lineup? And really also I would assume presences in the clubhouse. Like I think he just, he brings a lot, like the whole package of Brandon Belt brings a lot to the table, uh, both on and off the field. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was, uh, when he went, on the IL, I was like, ooh, what's going to happen here? Um, and it wasn't great. Um, no. They re- really missed him. Luckily for the Blue Jays and for Brandon Bell, it was sincerely the sort of minimum stay, which that was what they were hopeful for. But you never know in those situations. And you never know with him. Like, he has a, he has a guy that's, A, a little older, yeah. um, and B, has had a significant injury history. So this wasn't anything to do with the knee or anything that he'd sort of struggled with recently. But yeah, you know, hamstrings still, you never know with that. Those can be kind of finicky. So um, yeah, good that it was really the minimum, you know, sidebar. But the Blue Jays have had a great injury luck this year. Even the guys that have gone on the IL have mostly been like minimum stays. I think Kirk's going to be a minimum stay. Um, You know, Jansen wasn't that long. Uh, Espinal, I don't even remember him being on the IL, but I think it was fairly short. Yep. Um, and so the Blue Jays have just been very lucky. The only guy that's been kind of like hurt has been like Simber and you're like, eh, he wasn't pitching well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, but back to Bell. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a big presence. And I think the team, you know, missed him. And the thing with him is that he's, he's so key in our lineup just because he sees a ton of pitches. Like he, you know, he's always in a three, two count every single time and he makes the pitcher work. And so you rack up the, the pitch count, right? there in the first inning when you have him hitting third or whatever and you know whoever's hitting behind him I guess it's been Vlad lately it sees a lot of pitches can help Vlad even though pitchers kind of attack Vlad differently than they're going to attack Brandon Belt but um you know there's just a lot of benefits to having Belt in the lineup and just like that calm presence I think helps as well um he's not going to get rattled in any kind of situation um he's always going to give you like a quality at bat so yeah his 
Blue Jays have to be feeling very fortunate that um, A, his season has really turned around. B, he's been everything they wanted him to be. And, and C, that the injury um, really was minor and that he's right back where he left off, basically. Yeah, he and I think it's going to be interesting, like big series against San Francisco, like his former team. Oh, yeah. um, like you never know how that kind of thing, you know, goes. Is he going to play a little bit? Yeah, like, you know, you get a boost. Does it hurt? Like, whatever. Brandon Belt is, yeah, like, uh, kind of sneakily become um, a real invaluable piece uh, of what the Blue Jays do. Okay, so the Jays are, I think, two games away from the official midway point. A lot of people like to do the midseason report card at the All-Star break, but, like, you know, we're more than halfway at the, at that point. So, like, you know, we're about midway. They're on pace for like a high 80s win uh, total. You know they're in they're in a playoff spot. It hasn't been smooth sailing. You know relative to expectations, I would say it's been a disappointment. Like there have been some pleasant surprises and some guys who have really uh, done their job, and there have been some guys who haven't performed up to expectations. Like I, I'm. You know, like, I don't think it's a disaster or anything approaching that. Like, I'm a bit underwhelmed. You know, the the record against uh, teams in the division leaves a lot to be desired and will likely be the reason that they don't win the division. And if they end up missing the playoffs, like, will be probably one of, if not the biggest culprits, especially because, like, there's a good chance that two uh three teams at least from the AL East make the, the playoffs, if not four, like it wouldn't shock me if it's the division and then all three wildcard teams are from the AL East. Like, I think it's at least plausible. So mm-hmm. you know, like they have to be better in the second half against, against the division. But like, how would you sort of put a, in like some, a, a summation of the first half of the season, like for the Blue Jays, like what's, you know, kind of your big takeaways from what we've seen as we approach, you know, the 80th game of the season. Yeah, I think that um, I think if you're looking for like the one big sort of storyline um, in terms of just like team performance, it has to be the record against their own division. I think it's yeah. what seven and seventeen or something. Seven close and seventeen, to that. yeah, yeah. Um, great against everyone else, um, and that's really what sunk you. So you have to be better in the second half against your own division. Um, they've only played Boston four times. They lost all four games at Fenway. Terrible series for them that really started that terrible spiral in May. But you were, the Red Sox aren't that good. Um, so you would think that they can bank some wins against the Red Sox, the Yankees. They don't play them again until September. So who knows who's going to be playing for the Yankees then. But, um, you know, they, they've Missed some opportunities, I think, against their own division. Baltimore is a good team, but Blue Jays shouldn't be as dominated by Baltimore as they have been. Um, And so I think that that's going to be kind of priority for them in the second half is play better against your own division. Not as many opportunities to do that, but when you do get them, play better. Um, Obviously, Boston will come in this week, and so that's your first opportunity to do that uh, over holiday weekend. was always fun. And I think the other thing is the schedule does somewhat ease up for the Blue Jays. I think they have one of the easier schedules, I think, in the second half. Um, they will be playing some, you know, weaker teams. And they did start with a pretty difficult schedule, both in terms of, like, quality of competition, but also just, like, uh, games and number of days and stuff like that. So they really have an opportunity to kind of get on a roll as we – hit the halfway mark and then sort of roll over into it where you have the giants 
good team, but you know, not a team that's the Blue Jays should be better than they they've kind of um, uh, improved their record almost very recently with a, a nice win streak for them. And then Boston again, like they are kind of hovering just below the Blue Jays, but their pitching isn't very good. The Blue Jays should be able to handle them at home. And then you have the White Sox and Tigers, and that's like a good way to end the first unofficial half, I guess, um, right into the all-star break. So I think that the team is really hoping to have some positive momentum um, rolling into the all-star break. They have the opportunity right there to do it with the teams that they're going to be facing. Um, And I think they kind of have to because they've somewhat wasted – opportunities in May and June to sort of rack up some wins just against their own division and stuff. And, you know, they've handled some teams well. They handled the Astros well. They've played, you know, Braves well, Mets well. Um, you know, but some teams they've really not performed great against. Um, so the sort of task for the second half will just be like, be a lot, you know, sharper, more consistent. You know, let's uh, cool it on those outs on the bases. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's not have the inexplicably weird plays mostly their mistakes have been confined to the bases the the defense has been for the most part good um uh, great even and and then the offense it's like you just gotta start scoring runs because you got a top five-ish offense and doesn't really make sense that you're not scoring runs at the sort of clip that you're producing hits it's like you're almost like a top three team in hits and a top you're like midway down the league in runs Um, probably helped a bit today, but I think that's the thing with them. It's like, just, you know, clean up on the bases and just, you know, start, start playing runs more consistently. And the fact is they're, they'll be playing worse teams and they should be able to do that. And you hope that if they can kind of get some momentum against teams like the Red Sox and the White Sox and the Tigers, then they're sort of feeling good and sort of, hit their stride a little bit. I do think this team has like a, a run in them. I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, a 10 game win streak or something like that, but I do think that um, they have like a good run in them. They were better second half team last year. Um, Obviously with some drama mixed in there with firing their manager, but uh, I think I can kind of foresee a similar trend this year where it's like, they kind of get it going. Their offense just starts to click um, and they just kind of go on a bit of a mini run. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's very much within the realm of possibility. Like they need a 10, 10 and five stretch or like, you know, like going like 16 and seven over 23 games or like, you know, 17 and eight over 25 games. Like they yeah. need something like that. And like the, the next two weeks, I think will probably, you know, be really telling in terms of, you know, how they're able to do and are they able to bank a decent number of wins and, and that sort of thing. Because like, I look at the deadline, which is really not that far away. Like we're talking teams are figuring out what they want to do and what they want to get accomplished. And it's a lot more challenging now because there's way fewer sellers because every team is like, oh, we're a five game win streak away from being right back in in Mm -hmm. the picture uh, with the more teams making the playoffs. But like to me, the Jays are in a really interesting spot. Like they're obviously barring something catastrophically bad happening, going to be buying, but like, they don't have a tremendous amount of prospect capital anymore to like, they've depleted it to make deals. Like, so anyone who says, you know, they, their prospect huggers is wrong. Like they've cashed in a bunch of those chips. And for the most part, very few of them have materialized into, into anything, but mm-hmm. like they don't have a lot of ammo to make 
hugely impactful moves. Like if they want to get like, you know, some um, reliever to sop up some innings, they'll be able to do that. Uh, if they want to get a decent starting pitcher, that's going to be tough. Like right-handed hitting outfielder that can do damage against lefty pitching, I think makes a lot of sense. Like, I just wonder, you know, like how aggressive are they going to be? Like I, to me, like they're, they should be all in. Like you don't sign Kevin Kiermeyer and Brandon Belt. And like, you have Matt Chapman for one more year. Like the clock is ticking. Like the mm-hmm. next three seasons are really like firmly right now, the window to win. I'm not saying it's going to be closed after those three seasons, but like you're prioritizing winning now and in the next couple of years. So like, you know, assuming they're aggressively buying, like, how, like what's their strategy at the deadline? Like how aggressive do you think they, they would be um, like in terms of parting with the remaining prospects they do have, you know, to really, give this an honest run or like, is it a situation where it's too early to tell like the next couple of weeks will really end up determining, you know, how aggressive they are. Yeah. I think that, well, the one thing I wonder is that they could be aggressive, but I don't know that they have a super aggressive need. I mean, they need another starter, but do they need a top starter? Not really. I mean, like, of course you like, of course, if you know, someone's offered to you and like a great, like, Justin Verlander or something. It's like, sure. But like, realistically you have like an ace and Kevin Gosman, you have Barrios who's looked really great. We just talked about Kikuchi looking great. And, you know, I still think Bassett's going to be at the end of the season, we're going to look back and he's going to be more good than bad. Um, And so I I think that at this point, like the Blue Jays need a starter, but they just need a guy that could start. Um, And yeah, you want him to pitch decently, but I don't know that they need to like, push all their chips in because I don't know that they have a necessarily like a need for that. Like they don't need like a, a big bat, right? Like they've got, <laughs> they've got a great yeah. lineup. They got George Springer, Vlad, Bo, like um, they have, uh, they don't need like a, a sort of person to lead the way offensively. They need like a bat off the bench. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's true. So I, I think like, and then relief, like they don't need a closer. Yeah. They don't even need a, setup man they need another setup like you got Mesa's been pitching really well you've got Swanson um you have Pearson like who's looking like a guy for you Garcia you're still cutting weight and seeing where he's at but yeah but you know like middle to late reliever sure that's not going to cost you a lot so that's a thing where I'm like I think they can be aggressive and also I don't think they're with just the needs that they have. And I think that the needs that they have, they have the prospect capital to get those sorts of things. So I actually think they could sort of address all their needs. I just don't think their needs are like super, super high end needs. Like they're not, they don't, they're, this isn't like 2021 where they need to like to make a Jose Brios trade. Cause they really needed another like good starter. And that trade was as much about like the future as it was about the present. I think now they can actually be a little bit more like just, present focus like okay if you just get an, a starter like a Zach Granke type or something that can just like give you some innings and you see him walk at the end of the year it's no big deal um not gonna cost you like a ton um and you know he does his job and then he leaves like I think that's the type of trades they need to do this year yeah I think that like in terms of trading for you know, rental types, like they will have the the ability to do that. I think if they were to trade any of their 
you know, legitimate prospects. It would be the type of like threading the needle move where it's like, okay, you can help us win now, but you also have a year or two left of control. Like Merrifield a little bit last year, maybe something we don't see coming. Um, That it's like, okay, we're prepared to make a deal involving, you know, insert prospect here uh, because this player can help us in the next two or three years beyond this. Like they're not going to trade legit prospects for a rental. Mm -mm. No team really should. Like, I, I think that that's, you know, that's how you get yourself uh, into trouble unless your, your farm system is so deep. Yeah. Unless um, you're like the Dodgers or something. Yeah. Or the Orioles now, like we'll see what they do um, at at the deadline. But yeah, like I don't think that the Jays are going to look drastically different on August 2nd Mm -mm. uh, than they do now. Like there's going to be peripheral additions most likely made, but like, I, I do think that they need to fortify their depth a little bit because like we've talked about this. We talked about how they're thin in the rotation right now. Like if somebody were to get hurt, my yes. God, like you Not could good. say that about anyone, any team and their lack of depth. But like if they, anyone gets hurt, it's just like, you just throw your hands up. It's like, what do we do? Like everyone's looking at each other in the front office. Like, oh boy, like yeah. where, who do we turn to? And the answer is, I, I don't, I honestly do not know. Like I really, they don't have anyone. Like they've answered that question with what we talked about um before so you absolutely need to address that because like you know they like they've been really healthy like Mm -hmm. you talked about the minimum stints for guys on the il like they haven't had to really navigate any serious injury um to a big player like the manoa thing yeah he's been the most significant absence and has nothing to do with injury exactly and like injuries are are likely to happen like to me i've said this to you before like we talked about it a couple of times ago you you came on um the 2016 parallel continues to just ring true Mm -hmm. to me like i know that monoa is not taking his turn but the rest of the guys are generally speaking giving you a chance they're winning a lot of grinder games the offense hasn't been as good as we expected it still holds up for me uh, and that team did stay healthy uh, all year and maybe this team will but you you just you can't it's better to be over prepared for injuries than under prepared and then reactionary like be proactive about it and address it before it happens and then you know teams have you over a barrel and are like oh well you know you guys are screwed here without this piece in Mm -hmm. your lineup or this piece in your rotation it's going to cost this much more if you want to make a deal like you know figure out a way to you know cross your t's and dot your i's to ensure that like if by some chance you know knock on wood somebody gets hurt um you're you're not you know like up shit's creek without a paddle and in a really bad situation you know in an important time of the season yeah i agree like the the depth thing is a good um sort of need to uh target at the deadline i think especially with pitching which i assume you're referring to like with yes, the depth yeah. like it, it's almost like i mean trade probably didn't work out in the end or I guess remains to be seen but like the Mitch White trade is kind of like the model in terms of like the the idea of that yeah. <laughs> is maybe something they they should aspire to again this year um maybe that player works out better than uh, Mitch White was fine last year which is so weird I don't know why what's happened to him this year like but whatever it's been bad yeah, <laughs> yeah. but like th- that's the type of deal I agree that like you should be looking to make you know, like you're betting on 
you know, a certain player and that like, there's something there that you like and that you feel as though if you bring them into your program, like you can get more out of them. Like, yeah, that's looking like a real whopper. Like we'll see what happens with, you know, Nick Frasso, maybe Mitch White ends up figuring it out. It's looking increasingly unlikely, but like, um, yeah, that's what I would expect, um, more of from them. All right. We, we've, we've, gone long here um i appreciate it as always uh if you haven't read caitlin's uh article on matt chapman uh, i highly recommend doing so um it's at theathletic.com um good stuff you can follow caitlin on twitter she's got uh links to it uh i retweeted it it was really really good um thanks all your stuff is <laughs> but uh, that was particularly good and like i know you had been um, working on it for a while and it seemed like the reaction to it was pretty universally positive yeah. so like it's good it was like good to see that you know hard work rewarded with like a really you know like that's what that's what I think fans are looking for is like some more depth to these players like getting a better sense of like who they are what makes them tick mm -hmm. you know why they are the way that they are on the field you know like what has like sort of defined them as players and i think a lot of people didn't know any of that stuff about matt chapman yeah no one knew that matt better. chapman was funny <laughs> which i get no, no which i get because no. he's very serious looking on the field but like oh yeah he's constantly like joking and like ribbing his teammates yeah yeah and like that's the kind of stuff that like fans want more of and like you did a really good job of, of you know fleshing all of that out and uh, again i uh, can't recommend it enough and thank you um as always for, for coming on and i'm probably closer to the deadline probably. we'll we'll do something again and get a sense of um where this team is all right thanks as always to uh caleb mcgrath from the athletic i'm josh Wolberg. Thanks to all of you for listening. Follow me on Twitter at jgolbert12, at DFA underscore pod. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you find the podcast. I appreciate it as always. And uh, we will talk to you next week on Designated for Sunday.